Amen. Thank you, Treg. Let's open up our Bibles again to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. We started this chapter last week with this invitation to, to come and to feast on the goodness of God. It was this invitation that was extended to any who would listen and any who would trust in the word of God. They could come and find true and lasting satisfaction for their souls. And this morning we see God make yet another promise here in verses 3 through 5. So let's open there now, Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to be in verses 3 through 5, and I know that the words will probably be behind me, uh, but I encourage you to have a physical Bible in your lap open because we're going to be hopping around a couple different places, and I want your eyes there on God's Word. So Isaiah 55, 3 through 5, follow with me this morning as I read. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Would you pray with me once more? Lord, this is your word, and we ask that you would speak now in power as we open it up, as we seek your face and what you have said. God, our desire is to learn from you and be transformed by the power of your word. So we pray, would you do that now as we, as we open up this passage of scripture? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. But it is Sunday, November 13th. It's a Sunday after election day, and many of you, I know, went out to the polls Tuesday or sometime before Tuesday to cast your votes and appoint new leadership. And you did so generally on the basis of campaign promises, regardless of how you voted, regardless of, of who you voted for. What it comes down to is you cast your vote on the premise that you could trust those names on the ballot to fulfill the promises that they made, you know, what they would do given your vote, that you can trust their promises. And so each candidate on the ballot, they ran advertisements, they ran commercials, radio spots, TV appearances, text message assaults, offering certain promises to you, the voter, should they be appointed to their desired office. And I may be cynical, now, I don't think I'm presenting any new information to anybody here this morning, but history would show that some of those promises will indeed be kept and will be seen through to their desired end, but many of them will be broken. In fact, that's the sad reality of dealing with any human leadership. They are imperfect. Their words and their promises only go so far. In fact, you may be aware of this, there are certain websites that track campaign promises all the way to the end. These campaign promise trackers, they track them from the mouth of the politician all the way to see how they have been completed, if they have been completed, if they were lies to begin with, or whether we're still waiting to see if they might actually keep 
their promises. Last week, in verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 55, we saw that God made his people a promise. He said, come to me. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Come, come drink. Come to me. Come all who are, are hungry. Come feast. Come all who are poor. Come all who are needy. Come to me and satisfy your soul in me. And here's the promise. And you will have life for your soul. That's, that's a promise from the mouth of God. It's a promise to you this morning. That if you will listen diligently to the word of God, and if you will believe and, and trust the promises of God, you will find satisfaction for your soul. You will receive life in the presence of God. And unlike us, unlike sinful men and women who make promises and don't fulfill, who say things and don't act, God is always true to his word. Amen? We can trust that what he has spoken, he will fulfill. His promises can be trusted completely. So here in our passage this morning, God makes another incredible promise. Now here in verses 3 through 5, look there with me. He promises anyone, even you this morning, if you will incline your ear and listen to the word of God, if you will come and feast on the goodness of God, he says in verse 3, I will make with you an everlasting covenant. That is a, a, an eternal promise. And he, then he tells us what it is. What is God offering here? He says, it's my steadfast, sure love for David. My steadfast, sure love for David. Now that is an incredible promise that God is holding out for us this morning, if we understand what that means. And so this morning, what I plan to do, what I'd like to do with our time together, is, is to trace that promise all the way from the mouth of God himself to David in the Old Testament, to Christ, to us, and through us to the world. Okay, so we're going to trace that promise in three stages this morning. This will be our outline. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes to follow along. We'll track this promise in three stages this morning. God's love was promised to David. It was fulfilled in Christ. And now it is given to the nations. Three stages of this covenant love of God. It was promised to David, fulfilled in Christ, and given to to the nations. So first, God's covenant love was promised to David. Look there again to verse 3. God says, anyone who inclines their ear and, and comes to him, anyone who hears, not just hears, but listens diligently and, and trusts and believes the promises of God, anyone can come into this soul-satisfying feast and live. And, and then he says, hear me, come to me, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. What is that? Now, what is he talking about here? 
David is, is dead and gone. Even by the time Isaiah is writing this prophecy, David is, is long gone. So what does this mean that, that God is promising his steadfast, sure love for David to any who would come and, and hear and feast on these promises of God? Well, in order for us to understand what he's offering here, we need to turn backwards to the Old Testament in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so if you have your Bibles open, please turn there again, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is the passage that was read earlier for us. We need to turn there and lay eyes on this, on this promise. So King David, he had a desire to make a house for God. He wanted to build a temple for the Lord, a place of worship for the Lord. But the Lord said, you're not going to build me a house. Instead, guess what? I'm going to build you a house. And then he made some incredible promises here to David. Listen to what he promises David here. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 5. We'll read it and then we'll break it down. God says, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now, here's the promise. Listen here. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, could you imagine, place yourself in David's shoes here for a moment. Could you, could you imagine being David and hearing these promises from the mouth of God? Or David knowing how, how undeserving he was, knowing that he was just a shepherd when God called him, not even, not even tall or, or uh, attractive in appearance like his brothers, but God called him to be king, knowing knowing how much blood he had shed, how, how big of a sin he had committed, how deep he had fallen into rebellion against God. Yet God says, without any condition for David to meet, I will. 
I will. I will. See, this, this promise was, was totally undeserved, totally unmerited, and God said, I will do it. I will be faithful to my word. So what exactly did God promise David? We can break it down into four categories here. Okay, four categories of this promise that God made to David. First, God promised David he would have a, a proclaimed name. He said in verse 9, I will make for you a great name. It's a name that would be proclaimed and, and revered. God will do it. He will proclaim the name of David throughout the land. Second, God promised David a place. Verse 10, I will appoint a, a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. So God promised Israel with David as their appointed leader their own land. He promised them a place, so a proclaimed name and a place. And within that place, third, God promised David protection. Promised David protection. Verses 10 and 11. God says, Israel will be disturbed no more. Violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. In verse 11, I will, I will give you rest from all your enemies. So this was a promise, you see, of, of peace and protection. <clears throat> God's people were, were no strangers to war. They were no strangers to attack. They had enemies on every side. But here God promises, I'm going to bring you into a place, and I'm going to protect you from every enemy. And so far, if you know your Old Testament, none of this is new. And this is all, all recap. This is God rehashing old promises that he's already made to, to Abraham and to Moses. He's simply reiterating his promises, saying, I have not forgotten about my covenant. But as you read through the Old Testament, from, from Genesis all the way on, and you see God's plan unfold, it's like that lens is getting a little more focused. And so what was blurry at the beginning is becoming a little more defined, and we're seeing more and more clearly how these promises will be fulfilled. And so here in verse 12, we get something new. We get something new. He promises, fourth, a perpetual kingdom. A perpetual kingdom. Look there again, starting in verse 12. He says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And get this, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is a promise of a forever kingdom, a perpetual kingdom. David would have offspring to sit on his throne <coughs> forever. Now, from the time this promise was made, every Israelite who knew of this promise was on the edge of their seat just waiting and wondering, who will it be? 
Even as Isaiah spoke these words, they were waiting to be brought into their own land. They were were waiting to, to go under the reign of this promised king. David was long gone. When will he come? When will this promised king come? When will this promise be fulfilled? When will the king come and reign forever? Three times he says that word forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. But all these kings keep dying. All of these sons of David, they, they live, they reign. David reigned 40 years, and then he died. Solomon reigned 40 years, and then he died. Is it, is it Rehoboam? Is it Abijah? Is it King Asa? Every king from the line of David had all eyes on him. Imagine that pressure. Will this be the one. When will the king come? When will this promise be fulfilled? And then the pages of the Old Testament close. The promise is still sitting out there in the air. There's 400 years of silence. Did you know that? 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And all the while, the people of Israel are waiting and wondering, who will this king be? When will he come to reign? And then the page flips. And the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, goes like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, this covenant love was promised to David, and it was fulfilled, second, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promised son of David. And the New Testament writers, they they understood this, and so they wanted to make sure, they made a big deal about making sure we understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of David. Why? Because they want to be clear that all of the promises made to Abraham, all of the promises made to Moses, all of the promises made to David, they find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Church, why do we worship Jesus? Why is Jesus not just one religious figure among many? Why does does he receive all of our worship, all of our devotion? You may wonder what it is about this man that we come together and we sing songs of worship to him every single week. We stand up here, we open up his book, we read about his glory, we read his word, we follow his leadership. We talk a lot about Jesus. Why? It's because Jesus Christ is the very center of the fulfillment of the plan of God. He is the fulfillment of every promise of God. If we want to know whether God is true to his promises, where do we look? We look to Jesus. Think about these promises that God made to David with me for a moment. God promised David a name that would be proclaimed. But what is the name of David compared to the name of Jesus? God promised David a name that would be be proclaimed throughout all the world. But Philippians chapter 2, it tells us this. Although Although Jesus was in the form of God himself, although Jesus was sinless, he was perfect in every way, although he deserved no 
punishment. Look at what it says. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him what? The name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's king. He reigns. He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the name of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed throughout the world. He is Lord. He is king. He is God. God promised David and Israel a, a place, a, a promised land. But guess what? Jesus has also promised a place to reign. What is it? All of heaven and earth is under his reign. His reign is not limited to one people, one place, one time. He reigns over all. Universally, he is Lord of lords and, and King of kings. You see, this promised land is not just one patch of dirt on the earth. It is all of heaven and earth, renewed, recreated, restored under his reign. We don't, we don't see that in full right now, do we? We don't see it as it is, but one day we will. One day, all of heaven and earth will be totally under the reign of Christ. This is what we're waiting for. It has been promised. It has been purchased and one day church it will finally come to pass so until then what do we do we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as what help me as it is in heaven what does that mean that means totally totally and, and completely as peter says according to his promises we are waiting waiting for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. In that place, under his reign, there is protection. God promised David protection. God promised Israel protection. Church, we are safe in the hands of our king. One day we'll be totally free from, from sickness and death and suffering one day we're not there yet one day that will come but even now you can know victory over every greatest enemy every spiritual enemy those who are in Christ are protected totally from all of our greatest adversaries here's what that means Christian if you belong to Jesus you are protected from the wrath of God against your sin amen Friend, there is no greater enemy to you if you are outside of Christ, if you, if you do not belong to the kingdom of Christ. God is your enemy. Your sin is your enemy. But our king has come. And he has lived in our place. He has stood in our place. He lived perfectly where you and I could never live perfectly so that all of our enemies of guilt and condemnation are wiped away forever. Our king has died in our place, friends, so that the wrath of God that was against us because of our sin is wiped away forever. Church, Christ our king came to crush the power of sin 
death, and the devil. Every spiritual enemy is defeated by this reigning king. If you belong to his kingdom, you are protected. Why do we worship Jesus? It's because in him alone, we're brought into the kingdom of God. In him alone, we know the blessing of this invitation to come and live and have your soul satisfied and live forever with the goodness of God. Do you want freedom from your sin? Do you want freedom from the curse of death? Would you come to Christ and live? Do you want freedom from the guilt that you have earned for your sin? Would you, would you come and, and listen diligently and feast on the goodness of God? Listen and trust his promises offered to you this moment in Christ, given freely to any who would come and submit themselves to this reigning king, and you will live. And unlike David and Solomon... And every other king who, who came and lived and died and then poof, it was over. King Jesus lives and reigns forever. Jesus rose from the grave. Why do we worship Jesus? He is risen. He reigns forever. He cannot die. His reign cannot end. Jesus is king forever. Jesus inherits a perpetual kingdom. He is the forever king. I know it's not Christmas. Everybody keeps telling me that. Is the hallelujah chorus not ringing in your ears? <laughs> king of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings, Lord of lords, king of kings. Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. This is what Gabriel told Mary, isn't it? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, it's an understatement, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Exactly as God had promised to David. But listen to this. Christ came and lived and died and rose to share that love of God with the nations. To scatter abroad the love of God to any who would come, any who would hear, any who would trust in these promises that God makes. This love was promised to David it was fulfilled in Christ. And third, it is now given freely to the nations. Look there with me again back to our passage, Isaiah 55, verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, 
a leader and commander that is not just for the Jews, not just for one race, not just for one people, but for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that did not know, that you did not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Why? Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. You know, this was a, a stumbling block for the Jews. Right, this Jewish Messiah, you know, this, this fulfillment for a prom, promise made to a Jewish king on behalf of Jewish people, he's going to come and he's going to reign on behalf of the Jews, right? right he's creating a forever kingdom for the, for the Jews, right? Absolutely, yes. If they listen and trust the promises of God, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But Christ did not just come for the Jews. Praise God. Right? He was, he was made a witness to the peoples. He was a, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Now, most of us in the room are not ethnically Jewish. We are Gentiles. We are the nation that did not know God. We are, we are the peoples that were outside of this covenant love of God that have now been brought in by the sheer love and sheer grace of God. The sheer mercy of God has brought us as outsiders into the family of God where we do not belong. Now here's where, with the time we have left, I want to make some application, Okay? First, do you realize how loved you are in Christ? Do you realize how loved you are by God in Christ? I cannot think of a more powerful statement of God's love than this. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us, for us, who had no claim to him whatsoever. We do not belong in this covenant. We do not belong in this love of God for David and for his people. We have no claim to it whatsoever. But God sent his own son to die to bring us into his love if we would but listen and find soul satisfaction in him. Do you know how loved you are in Christ? And how totally outside of you that love is? It's not based on you at all. It's not based on, on me at all. It's not dependent on us at all. And because he has brought you in and united you to his son by faith, his love for us, his love for you, is as sure as his love for Christ himself. God can no sooner abandon you, believer, than he could abandon his own son. His love for you is steadfast. It is, it is sure, and we have all of eternity to feast our souls on the depth of that love. Second, second application. When we grasp this, 
when we grasp that unmerited, undeserved love of God, how freely God has opened up his arms and, and called the nations to himself, including little old us, how could we resist the privilege of joining him in his mission to make worshipers out of all the peoples of the earth? We spoke last Sunday morning and then again last Sunday evening about the privilege and the task of, of evangelism, sharing the gospel, sharing the, the good news, extending this invitation to all who don't know the goodness of God. And we talked about several reasons why maybe we, we hesitate to share the gospel, maybe we don't share the gospel at all. Several reasons were mentioned. I see two here in this passage. One, we don't grasp God's love for us. We don't, we don't, we don't grasp it. How, how free, how undeserving, how satisfying his love is for sinners. And two, we don't share God's love for others. We don't share God's love. For others. Why don't we share the gospel? It's because we have not synced up our heart with God's. God intends to make worshipers out of all the peoples of the earth, and He will do it. And He will maximize the fame of Christ, His glory among the nations. And how's He gonna do it, church? Through us. He does it through the church. Those who have known this steadfast love of God will share it with others so that all the peoples of the world will join in worship. We will be satisfied. He will be glorified. That's the mission of the church. That's, that's what we're here to do. Did you know that? We're here to be satisfied in him and to share that soul-satisfying feast with any who would come and hear. Our mission is to fill the earth with worship. And Isaiah says, as, as Christ through us opens up his word, extends this invitation to, to come, to turn from your idols, to, to come, to turn to me, to listen to me, to come that your soul might live, come, be satisfied in me. He says, the nations will run with urgency and joy to their king. Church, this is why we go to the uttermost ends of the world. This is a promise for all peoples. Do you desire for the name of Christ to be known? Where it has not been named before. Do you desire for, for God to be glorified where he is not worshipped as he deserves? Do you desire for those who are, are perishing throughout the world to hear the good news of Christ and to believe that they can know God and live. Do you, do you see the world with that, with that vision? I remember when I, I bought my first pair of polarized sunglasses. <laughs> and before that, I was just using whatever, whatever cheap pair of glasses I could find at the store. It didn't matter too much to me. But then I bought a real pair of actually polarized lenses, polarized glasses with a tinted shade lenses. And they came, and I put them on, and, and let me tell you, it was a game changer. All right, details that I hadn't noticed before were, were brought to life. Is like I saw the world in a whole new way. 
You know that's how it is when we come into the kingdom? We begin to see the world with with kingdom-tinted shades. This is what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's what we used to do. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, church, the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, calling the nations through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, when we come into the kingdom of God, we begin to see the world differently. It's not about us. It is a mission field for the glory of God. We see, we see our identity and our, our citizenship differently. We're not primarily American citizens. Did you know that? We're citizens of the kingdom of God who has placed us providentially here in America. Our priorities are no longer of this world, the day-to-day concerns of life, the things that mess us all up and stress us out. Our priorities and our concerns are kingdom concerns. How can I, how can I bring glory to God today? And our mission is no longer about self, church. It is to make disciples, to bring fame to the name of Jesus. So let me close with a story that I heard last week. And this is a story about people who see the world through kingdom-tinted lenses. They are ordinary people like you and me. I don't know them. Amanda showed me a video of their work last week. They live as missionaries in Papua New Guinea. But their aim is is not to reach Papua New Guinea generally. Uh, It is focused in on one specific people group, unreached people group there in Papua New Guinea called the Maliali people. God said, all the peoples of the earth will know me. That includes the Maliali people. All right, so they went believing the promise of God, believing that promise, offering it to this people. Here's what they said in the video. They said this. The Maliali, so far as we know, have not had access to the gospel. And there is not a single known Christian among them. Our purpose there is to see a mature church planted among them. And we're going about this work in four ways. Let me pause there. (laughs) It's unreached people group. No Christian among them. The history of their people. Their goal is to plant a mature church. You see that? Going about that in four ways. First, learn their language and their culture. These are English-speaking missionaries. 
English-speaking missionaries who over the past few years have, have gone and immersed themselves in, in the language. They've become fluent in this Malayali language and the Malayali culture. Two, second, to develop an alphabet in their unwritten language. They don't have a written language. They have a spoken language. They learned the language through their ears. They're formulating an alphabet, a written language, and they desire to teach them to read and to write in their own language. So these missionaries, they've gone to understand their language with a purpose that they can write it so that they can communicate with these people in their own language. So they're, they're teaching literacy classes there. Why? Why? So they can read? So that they will one day be able to read God's word for themselves in their own native tongue. See, these missionaries won't last forever. They will come. They will die. God's word will last forever. So they've come to, to formulate a language, formulate an alphabet, teach them how to read so that they can read and understand God's word in their own native tongue. So third... They're working to translate the Bible into the Malayali language. <laughs> they make an alphabet, translate the entire Bible into that language for this one little people group. Raise your hand if you had heard of the Malayali people before this morning. Not me. But now they can hold in their own hands a copy of God's word and, and read it for themselves, pass it down from generation to generation. That's how a healthy, mature church is going to be established there, is through the word of God. And then they're not going to leave, because fourth, they plan to stay and teach the Bible and make disciples as they preach and teach and explain the word of God for as long as the Lord would have them stay. Why would they do all that? Why would anybody do that? Give their life away, leave your home country, go live in the middle of a bush in Papua New Guinea, go where nobody knows you, nobody speaks your language, you might be welcomed, you might not. The only reason for anyone to go do something like that is that they believe the promises of God. That any who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. They know that love of God personally. And second, they share the heart of God for others. That all the peoples of the earth will know him. That nations who do not know him now will run to him when his name is proclaimed. Is that your heart? Is that the desire of your heart, church? If not, I want to invite you, let's, let's begin to pray that God would do that in us. That he would change our heart to represent and to match his heart for the nations. And then let's go out and open our mouths and call any who would hear to come, to come, to listen, to trust, to feast on the word of God. And receive the steadfast, sure love of God for you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we praise you for this unmerited love that you gave to David that he didn't 
He didn't earn it. He was nothing, Lord, and yet you, you showered your love upon him. And in Christ, that love is available to any who would turn and trust and come to you. And we thank you, Lord, that, that we now stand in the place of David as a witness to your glory for the nations to hear. What a privilege. Lord, would you use us? Would you use this church? Would you use this body to proclaim the goodness of God? Not just here in Hollandau, but throughout the world. We love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.